the three verbs of Christmas. Probably the best known of all Christmas carols might be, O come all ye faithful. And it contains these three verbs. Come, behold, adore. A, a, a course of action is described in that carol. It's, it's not primarily a great doctrinal carol. It's, it's not like Charles Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing that deals with, I mean, it starts with the fall. It deals with sin. It deals with the incarnation. It deals with salvation. It deals with Christ's birth, death, resurrection, our resurrection, Born to raise the sons of earth, Wesley says. The second coming. It's all in that fabulous carol. But O Come All Ye Faithful has sure earned its place of greatness. What shall we Christians do when we understand? I mean, we've heard this, we've heard this a thousand times about Jesus, the incarnation. born in the stable. How, how, how shall we approach it? How shall we celebrate Christmas like Christians? So come, behold, adore. It's not complicated, but I think it is rich. I mean, Frederick Oakley, he wrote those words about 200 years ago. And the world, sadly, has largely forgotten the proper approach to God the Son born in that manger. So I want to quickly go over those three steps tonight. And I think because they're just three words, it'll be easily remembered. Come. So immediately, I'm reminded, we're reminded, it's not enough just to hear and it's not enough just to know. We all have the information. We all have the data. We're, we're being urged near. Come. Everybody has to come. Not a simpler message in the world, right? To start with. There's something here. There's something here that, that can be easily missed if you just look at it from a distance. You have to come. Put whatever else you're doing down. Turn off the TV. Turn off the video games. And and Come. When you stop to think about it, this idea was actually reinforced, not just in the carol, but in the New Testament itself. I was looking at some of these words from, look at Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to look at a few references tonight quickly. Matthew 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, I want to look at that in a minute, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. Here it is. And we have come to worship him. You find less directly, but you find the same idea in Luke's account. Luke is the only one who talks about the shepherds and the angels. Only Luke mentions them. Look at Luke chapter 2. 8 to 15, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what, what did this look like? The glory of the Lord shone around them. This isn't a fable. They saw something. The glory of the Lord shone around them so much that they were filled with great fear. And then they hear a speaking voice. The angel said to them, fear not. Probably speaking in Aramaic. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, now that was an angel, now suddenly, 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. What does that mean? 500? 1,000? 50,000? What did they hear? A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, so the angels go, the shepherds, the shepherds said to one another, this is just the shepherds now, let us go. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I was actually reading a Christmas account by the theologian Karl Barth, great Swiss theologian. Everybody thinks he's German. He wasn't. He was Swiss. He's a very densely theological writer, and I had no great expectations. I was simply trying to read something that I thought a lot of evangelical pastors would never read, and there might be some kind of a different insight. And most evangelical pastors rarely would read Karl Barth, and for pretty good reason in some cases. Anyway, I suddenly bumped into this simple observation in his, in his church dogmatics, where you've got 15 volumes, some... Oh, about uh, nine million words. Bumped into this simple idea that the shepherds were never actually commanded to go to the stable. They're told how they would recognize the baby. There'd be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. But the conversation never ends. The angels don't say, now, you, get to Bethlehem. They never say that. After the angels are gone, the shepherds say to one another, it's right there in that 15th verse. Okay, let's go. Let's go. And so in the biblical account and in the carol, choice has to be made. It's not the natural response of sinful people to a holy God. Remember Adam and Eve? When they sinned in the garden, fleeing is a lot more natural than coming. Note those words. The wise men, we have come to worship him. What made them come? There was no recorded message in the star, no voice from heaven saying, now make sure you get up and go. We know they had been studying the prophetic scriptures, probably, particularly Jeremiah, with the star. Why wasn't it enough just to know about Jesus' birth? Why isn't it still enough? An academic kind of a thing. 
clearly the voice wasn't in the stars. It was in their hearts. It came up in their discussion. We've got to go. God invites. God initiates that kind of close-up contact. But even that isn't the most striking feature of this group coming to the stable. We've all, we've all cut our teeth on the wise men. We sing the carol. It's probably not one of the most spectacular ones. We three kings. We don't know that there were three, for one thing. We know there were three gifts. Nobody actually knows how many came. Magi is the word in the text. Wise men. You've probably seen Christmas pageants. The wise men all show up. They usually have uh, their men with house coats and some kind of a towel wrapped around their heads and a wristwatch that they forgot to take off when they came out onto the stage. <laughs> Do you know what these wise men did? They, were, they weren't called wise men for their intelligence. They were called wise men because what they did is they consulted the stars. That's what they did. Astrology. And that's just what they were doing when they came to the side of the newly born God, the Son. They were doing, think about this, they were doing all those things that the Old Testament calls abominations. That's what they were doing. And they get invited to the birth of the God, God the Son, who inspired those Old Testament warnings. I mean, something doesn't seem right here. Some kind of poor planning amongst the Trinity. The optics aren't right. I mean, I mean, if, if you were inviting people to the birth of God with us, who would you invite? Billy Graham or a fortune teller? And, and how come the fortune tellers are the ones that get invited? It's not a mistake. Something big is happening here. God is putting on vivid display with a great sense of purpose. This, perhaps, the best known story in the history of the world portrays a God who comes into this world with rescue right in the center of his mission. Not the deserving, the undeserving. Not the qualified, the rebellious. Maybe you need that little reminder. Just, just come, just come. Silence all those opposing voices that right now just seep up to the top of your mind. I'm, Pastor Don, too mess, I'm too messed up to come. I don't fit. Pastor Don, I've ignored God most of my life for way too long. Pastor Don, I'm not a religious person. I don't even go to church. And there's something in this great Christmas message, the first verb, come, Reject that voice. 
that says it can't be that simple. It is that simple. There's, there's someone here you can't deny, someone you can't ignore, someone who will reach in, reach out to your and my undeserving heart and transform our lives. Just come. Second verb, behold. We don't use the word behold very much anymore. But it's pretty descriptive. It, it's, not just, it's not just looking. It's not just seeing out of the corner of your eye. It's not that. Behold means it's, it's to look with effort, to see with concentration, to study with some kind of perception. It's, it's seeing the meaning of the event, not just quickly glancing at the event. It's seeing until, at least in some measure, understanding starts to grow. It's, it's seeing in slow motion, focusing. I'm sure you've had the experience in some way. Uh, I, can remember, I can remember back in my early grades of school, I can still remember I was always terrible with math. And it's a great thing when you can get a teacher who makes you go over your own math paper until you actually see for yourself the mistakes you've made. You didn't see it the first time, but someone comes and helps you to see with perception. Oh, that's where I went wrong. Oh, that's where I made the mistake. Of course, that's what this is all about. That's the summons of this carol. Come and behold him. We're, we're, told, we're told to study this baby. I mean, on the surface, looks like any other poor little baby. Bad circumstances, unfortunate for sure. That's just a quick surface glance. This, this baby's like no other baby. That's why we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. So yes, behold. Ask big questions. Take it all in. Why has he come? Why was this necessary? What is going on? You'll look at passages like this. You'll look at passages like Hebrews 10, 5, and then just to save time, jump down to verse 12. Consequently, you need to understand this text. Consequently, when when. Christ came into the world. Okay, so is that a Christmas text or what? When Christ came into the world, that's the incarnation. That's what we're celebrating. When Christ came into the world, and here's where you got to think a bit. He said, the he is Christ. That's what we're looking at here. Before he came, he wasn't a baby. Before he came, God the Son had always existed, created the world, the text says, So before he came into the world, he, Christ, said to the Father, mystery here for sure, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but look, but a body you have prepared for me. The me is, it's Christ. The you is God the Father. A body you have prepared for me. Jump down to 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, 
So his coming into the world had something to do with, we might not like to think about it, but it had something to do with sin. That's, that's the reason. When he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So he, he came as a baby, he grew up, he died, sacrificed for sins, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father. Time is passing here. Now he sits down, ascended, the right hand of God, at the throne of God, waiting for that time. So he's going to come again. Till his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time. Isn't that interesting? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So these are Christ's own words. Before the incarnation, this is Jesus explaining in recorded scripture his reason for coming. We're talking about now beholding till we understand. A body you have prepared for me. Why? Well, he's going to come, the text says, and offer that single sacrifice that's going to be his, his own self, his own life on the cross. And you can't pound nails through a spirit, right? Only a body can shed blood. A body you have prepared for me. So you think about the initial shock, the initial shock of the babe born in a stable, lying in a manger. Why? Why that way? Well, think again of John the Baptist's words. Behold, remember John? Everybody knows these words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? Where else would a lamb be born but in a stable? There's, there's a prophetic picture here of the reason Jesus came. Over a hundred years before O Come All Ye Faithful was written, another writer, Isaac Watts, he caught the same thought of beholding, only he put different words around it. It wasn't a Christmas song, but we know it, most of us. When I... When I survey the wondrous cross. Not just when I see it. Have you seen a surveyor at work? I don't know what they look at in those things. You've seen them? And there's measuring things and there's sticks with fancy uh, luminous ribbons on them. Am I being too technical for you people? And then they look through and they measure. Everything, but they don't just take a quick glance. Yeah, I think that looks pretty straight. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's measured. You, you look very, very carefully. That's beholding. When you look carefully at Jesus, this is what you will see. You will see one who created the universe and all that is in it. You'll see the one who said, I am that I am. Nobody counsels me. Nobody advises me. Nobody gets to evaluate God. He evaluates us. That God, the unchanging God, he comes down to this tiny, little, insignificant speck of a planet. In the universe that he made, comes to this tiny speck as a baby for our sins. And 
And the Bible says, and the hymn says, the carol says, behold, don't, don't tread lightly here. Leads to the last point. We're almost done. Adore. So the plea to come, that's addressed to my feet. The plea to behold, addressed to my mind and my understanding. The plea to adore, cries out to my heart. You, you, can, you can get to the place in your Christian life. It happens to people like me who have known, thought, preached, taught about this stuff forever and a day. It's very easy to approach it coldly. Adore. Adore. Think of someone who gave his life for you. I, I don't know how you picture it. How can I help you see it? Imagine, imagine someone, here you are, picture yourself. Here I stand on the gallows. Noose is put around my neck. Okay? And someone comes up beside me. And says, no, no, and they loosen it. Okay? They take it off their neck. And they slip it over their own neck. Am I getting, are you getting the picture? And they tighten it up. And just before he plunges to his death, he looks at me and says, I came for this. I love you. I don't know how else to make you something you've known for your whole life. How do I make you come and say, behold? Judy sang it. What do you do? Fall on your knees, she sang. O night divine, fall on your knees. He ends his carol, people that are joyful and triumphant. Joyful because that nagging conscience that's very close to the service of most of us. If you think of things you should have done, didn't do, words you spoke you shouldn't have spoke, thoughts you had that you'd be embarrassed if other people knew, all the times you didn't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the, and the conscience that rises up, the guilt that rises up, joyful because that's finally quenched in Christ Jesus. Triumphant because the one thing we all face, I'm 66 years old. Every once in a while I stop, even in my office, and I have a mirror on the door inside, and I look at the mirror, and every once in a while I say to myself, very, very, very soon now, you'll stand before your Creator. Very soon. Triumphant. Because death has been overcome. Joyful, the conscience. Triumphant, death defeated. Come. Don't stay away. Come. Behold. Think this through. Adore. Fall on your knees.